Good morning and welcome to The Ripple, your go-to podcast for all the circles in your life. This week's episode will feature our weekly update on the pandemic in Vermont, but while we will still cover case numbers, our initial focus will be on reporting vaccine totals. Hopefully it's a sign that we're making progress out of our way, our way out of this pandemic sooner rather than later. In national news, we're going to look at two stories. President Biden is signing orders to reunite migrant families. And some news broke yesterday afternoon that Jeff Bezos will be stepping down at Amazon. Internationally, we're going to take a look at a developing story as there was a military coup that took place in Myanmar to overthrow the government there. And of course, you'll get your weekly sports wrap. Let's dig in. Vermont is now getting 22% more vaccine doses per week from the federal government than its previous allocation, Governor Phil Scott announced yesterday. Scott learned in a call with other governors governors yesterday morning that doses would increase another 5% on top of an 8% increase announced last week by the Biden administration, which is working to boost the numbers of doses sent to states. Compounded, Scott says, that increase works out to about 22% total. That means Vermont will get about 10,800 doses a week for at least the next three weeks, a time frame that Scott said will aid greatly in planning ahead for administering the vaccine. Quote, this is just preliminary information, hot off the press, so to speak. So we'll have more details in the days to come, but suffice it to say this is good news for us here in Vermont and throughout the country, he said. The federal government would also provide two other sources to help increase doses. It's providing tools to Vermont to get an extra dose out of each Pfizer vaccine vial and providing some vaccines directly to pharmacies in a pilot program. I appreciate the collaboration with the White House and look forward to receiving more doses so we can vaccinate others as fast as possible and start getting back to whatever normal is, Scott said. So far, More than 55,000 Vermonters have been vaccinated, 35,500 have received their first doses, and 19,500 have completed both first and second doses. Scott also learned on the call that Vermont would receive a full reimbursement for the National Guard operations in 2020. Previously, Vermont had only expected to receive about 25% of the Guard's funding, but that requirement has now been eliminated and the state will be refunded what it spent last year which can mean millions of dollars per month, Scott said. We don't know all the details, and we'll look into that and hopefully be able to update you on what it could mean, but safely say it's millions of dollars that will be coming back to Vermont in some respects, Scott said. The Guard was used last year to staff the state's medical surge sites. Mike Smith, the head of the human service head of uh, human services, said the National Guard could also be deployed to assist with vaccine distribution, if the allocation rose past the state's capacity under its original plan. About 9.7% of Vermont residents aged 16 and over have received at least one of the doses of the vaccine. 34,000 Vermonters have registered to receive the vaccine under the latest uh, phase of the plan, which is called Phase 2, and that includes all Vermonters aged 75 and over. COVID cases in Vermont drop for the third week in a row, but cases in Bennington County in southwestern Vermont remain high, driving up hospitalizations statewide, officials said Tuesday. The state reported 868 cases in the past week, a 29% decline from the peak of the mid-January surge, according to a report from the Department of Financial Regulation. National cases are down 42% from their peak, and regional cases are down 37%. 
At the same time, Bennington County has been setting records in its case count, going in the wrong direction, including its highest ever total of 40 cases in a day on January 30th. Department of Financial Regulation data shows that if Bennington County hospitalizations were excluded, the total number of people hospitalized in Vermont would be declining, but that county's numbers are driving the statewide total up. The Bennington Hospital Southwestern Vermont Medical Center said it is coping well with the new clinical load. He, uh, Dr. Mark Levine said the latest rise in Bennington County numbers could be attributed to several issues. Several multi-household gatherings prior to the holidays led to outbreaks, and out-of-state skiers could be passing along the virus to workers in the community, although the skiers themselves would not be counted in the data. There have been, uh, there have been not only on the site of a ski resort, but in the communities that are part of the ski resorts, cases that show up in work sites and in restaurants to the point where in one or two times several of those had to close due to staffing issues, he said. Some New York residents who work or receive medical care in Vermont may also be driving up the county's case numbers, Levine said. In addition, college cases have been an issue as students return to the state for the spring semester. Vermont reported 39 student cases this week, compared to 118 last week, but the latest numbers did not include any reports from the University of Vermont. Norwich's outbreak among students rose to 94 cases this week, Levine said. The health department is working with Norwich to refine its testing protocol, along with testing a variety of college samples to see if any of them could be one of the COVID variants circulating elsewhere in the country. The number of high-risk cases in Vermont is declining as well, likely driving to a decrease in deaths. The state had 27 deaths in January compared to 71 in December, according to the report. The number of cases among Vermonters 65 and older has also declined in recent weeks as conditions improve statewide. Levine said there have been fewer cases in long-term care facilities as well. Smith said people at all 37 skilled nursing facilities, the state's highest risk facilities, have received both doses of the vaccine, about 87% at residential care facilities and 94% at assisted living facilities have received at least their first dose. In total, 85% of long-term care residents have elected to receive the first dose of the vaccine, Smith said. Levine said it was difficult to say whether the declining cases could be a result of vaccinations. He says, quote, I would love to say that what we're seeing in long-term care is related to the vaccine, but that would be a little guesswork and a little premature. The state has convened a working group to discuss opening up new activities for long-term care residents, such as social gatherings and events, to allow people to socialize within the facility. There'll be plenty of family members that will have not yet received their vaccine, he says, but that doesn't mean we can't improve the lives of those facilities with activities and social arrangements that can be made within the facility, he said. And now we'll move on to national news. Our first national news story sees U.S. President Joe Biden signing three executive actions seeking to reunite migrant families that were split up by a Trump-era policy and ordering a review of his predecessor's wider immigration agenda. In an attempt to deter illegal immigration, President Donald Trump's administration had separated undocumented adults from children as they crossed the U.S.-Mexico border. Mr. Biden's orders will set up a task force to try to reunite the estimated six to 700 children who are still apart from their families. The Trump administration had split up at least 5,500 children from their adults along the U.S. border between 2017 and 2018. 
The administration of U.S. President Barack Obama, who Mr. Biden served as vice president, also had a policy separating undocumented children from adults at the border, though it happened much more rarely, say activists. One of Mr. Biden's orders will set up an interagency task force led by the newly confirmed Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, to oversee family reunifications. Mr. Biden's second and third order signed on Tuesday, order a review of uh, Trump's immigration policies that curtailed asylum, slowing legal immigration into the United States, and canceled funding to foreign countries. Speaking at the White House, Mr. Biden said, we're going to work to undo the moral and national shame of the previous administration that literally, not figuratively, ripped children from the arms of their families, their mothers and fathers, at the border with no plan, none whatsoever, to reunify the children who are still in custody and their parents, end quote. Mr. Biden has also proposed legislation to grant legal status and path to citizenship to all of the 11 million undocumented people in the United States. Analysts say the new president has so far avoided reversing Mr. Trump's hardline policies in order to avoid in order to avoid a surge in illegal immigration at the southern border. At Tuesday's West White House press briefing, Press Secretary James Haskey said the administration was committed to building a moral and humane immigration system. But until that happened, she added, now was not the time to come to the United States. To bring that story more to light, we wanted to focus on a mother and her daughter who are both from El Salvador, and they have spent more than 500 days at an immigration detention center in the United States, despite a national federal rule limiting the detention of underage migrants to a maximum of 20 days. Louisa and Ariana are the names we're going to use, but both of those names uh, were given as fake names in the report because the two people that were cited in this news story have asked to remain anonymous. So Louisa is a nine-year-old girl, but she sometimes, sometimes sounds wise beyond her years. She has had to write letters to legislators asking authorities to release her and Ariana, her mother, from a U.S. government detention center for migrant families. As of February 2nd, Louise, uh, as of February 2nd, Louisa has spent 531 days in the U.S. government custody together with her mother as they try to avoid deportation following an unsuccessful asylum request. Asylum is where you try to seek emergency status to be able to enter another country. According to legal aid organizations operating in the country, three migrant family detention centers, Luisa, who is from El Salvador, is currently the migrant child who has spent the longest time in custody. She has spent almost all that time at the South Texas Facility uh, Family Residential Center in Dilly, Texas. Quote, she says, All my friends have left already. Me and my other friend, we are the only ones left, she said in a telephone interview. According to existing U.S. rules, migrant children must be released after spending a maximum of 20 days in a detention center. However, Louisa and four other children from ages 3 to 16, together with their mothers, have spent more than 500 days at the same facility. Louisa could have left the detention center to stay with another relative in the U.S., but mother and child decided to stay together while they fight in the courts against government efforts to deport them. Louisa is tired of her situation. Quote, I have spent two Christmases here, she says. I miss cooking food. I would like to cook my own food. I have learned a little bit of English, and I want to learn more at school, but away from here. End quote. 
Her mother says the girl does not like the food at the detention center and that her behavior has changed as time goes by. Quote, says the mom, she only eats fruit and sometimes not even that. Hmm. In our second national news story, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is stepping down as chief executive of the e-commerce giant that he started in his garage nearly 30 years ago. He will go on to become the executive chairman, a move that he said would give him time and energy to focus on other ventures. Mr. Bezos, who has a net worth himself of almost $200 billion, will be replaced by Andy Jassy, who currently leads Amazon's cloud computing business. The change will take place in about in the second half of 2021, the company said. Bezos says, being the CEO of Amazon is a deep responsibility, and it's consuming. When you have a responsibility like that, it's hard to put your attention on anything else, he said in a letter to his Amazon staff on Tuesday. He all goes on to say that as executive chair, I will stay engaged in important Amazon initiatives, but also have time and energy I need to focus on the Day One Fund, the Bezos Earth Fund, Blue Origin, the Washington Post, and my other passions. He says he's never had more energy, and this isn't about retiring. I'm super passionate about the impact I think these organizations can have, he added. Mr. Bezos is 57 and has led Amazon since it started as an online bookshop in 1994. The company now employs 1.3 million people globally and has its hand in everything from package delivery to streaming video to cloud services and advertising. Bezos has amassed a fortune of $196.2 billion, according to the Forbes list of billionaires, making him the world's richest man. However, the Bloomberg Billionaire Index puts Tesla boss Elon Musk just ahead of him. Amazon saw its already explosive growth skyrocket in this past year as the pandemic prompted a surge in online shopping. And now we'll take a look at what's happening in our international news. Internationally, police in Myanmar have filed several charges against the elected civilian leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, following Monday's military coup. Myanmar is in Asia, and if you look it up on some maps, it still might be listed as Burma, a name it had up until about the 1990s. Aung San Suu Kyi has been in uh, police custody, um, and she will remain there until February 15th, that the police, police documents show. Charges against her include breaching import and export laws, possessing unlawful communication devices. Her whereabouts are still unclear, but it has been reported that she is being held captive at her residence in the capital. Deposed president, means the outgoing president, Win Mint has also been charged, the documents show, in his case with violating rules banning gatherings during the COVID pandemic. He has also been put in police custody for two weeks. Neither the president nor... Ms. Suki have been heard from since the military seized power in the early hours of February 1st. The coup, led by Armed Forces Chief Min Ong Hong, has seen the installation of an 11-member junta, which is ruling under a year-long state of emergency. A junta is like uh, a group of almost um, people that get to decide as a committee how to run the government. The military has sought to justify its action by alleging fraud in last November's election, which Ms. Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy won decisively. Activists in Myanmar are calling for civil disobedience. Many hospital medics are either stopping work or 
continuing, but wearing symbols of defiance, defiance and simmering anger over the suppression of Myanmar's short-lived democracy. Protesting medical staff say they are pushing for the release of Miss Suu Kyi. The wearing of red or black ribbons and pictured giving three-fingered salute, familiar from the Hunger Games movies and used by demonstrators last year in Thailand. Online, many changed their social media profile pictures to one just the color red. Quote, the civil disobedience is one of the tactics that young people in Myanmar are now launching a campaign across the whole country. End quote. Yangon Youth Network founder Thinzar Shunlai told the British Broadcasting Company. They're calling for action, especially from the civil servants, to stop working for the government for this military junta. A Facebook group has also been set up to coordinate the disobedience campaign. But there have been few signs of major protest. On Tuesday night, drivers honked their horns in the main city, Yangon, and residents banged cooking pots. Myanmar has been mainly calm following the coup, with troops on patrol and a nighttime curfew in force. There have also been demonstrations of support of the military, one attracted up to 3,000 people. The group of seven major economic powers said it was deeply concerned and called for the return of democracy. We call upon the military to immediately end the state of emergency, restore power to the democratically elected government, to release all those unjustly detained, and to respect human rights, said a statement released in London. The G7 compromises the countries of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the United States. But efforts at the UN Security Council to reach a common position came to nothing as China failed to agree. China is one of the five permanent members with a right to veto on the UN Security Council, the UN body responsible for maintaining peace. China has been warning since the coup that sanctions or international pressure would only make things worse in Myanmar. Beijing has long played a role of protecting the country from international scrutiny. It sees the country as an economically important and is one of Myanmar's closest allies. Alongside Russia, it has repeatedly protected Myanmar from criticism at the UN over the military crackdown on the Muslim minority population. And now we'll take a look at our sports wrap. Sports! With no NFL football action to look back on, let's start by giving you the quick facts ahead of Super Bowl 55. The game will kick off at 6.30 local time this Sunday night between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Kansas City is looking to win back-to-back Super Bowls, while Tom Brady plays in his 10th Super Bowl and looks to win his 7th. The musician The Weeknd will be the halftime performer. Spring training for baseball will start to ramp up next week. For instance, the Boston Red Sox will hold what they call Truck Day, which is the term they use when they load up all the equipment into big rigs and send them to Florida to begin spring training. Truck day for the Red Sox will be on February 8th. Pitchers and catchers will report to spring training shortly after that. In the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers have a two-game lead over the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference standings, with about 20 games of the 72-game season having been played. The Boston Celtics sit in fourth place, three games off the top with an 11-8 record. The Celtics beat the Golden State Warriors last night behind strong performances from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. In the Western Conference, it is full of surprises as the plucky Utah Jazz sit atop the standings, just ahead of both L.A. teams, the Clippers and the Lakers. In soccer news, the Premier League games are happening thick and fast. 
yesterday saw Sheffield United come from behind to beat West Brom. Arsenal had two players sent off with red cards against Wolves. Arsenal ended up losing the game 2-1. Southampton had two players ejected from their game yesterday against Manchester United, and things went from bad to worse as they ended up getting thrashed 9-0. Yes, you heard that right, 9-0. Today's action sees Liverpool take on Brighton at 3:15. Man City are in action at 1 o'clock. Well, my pick for the most entertaining game today will be Leeds versus Everton at 2.30. Currently, Man City and Man United are tied atop the Premier League table, but Man United have played two more games than their crosstown rivals. Liverpool are in third, four points behind. A super interesting game happens tomorrow when sixth place Tottenham Hotspur, who are not playing well, take on seventh place Chelsea, who are starting to play better. Meanwhile, in the lower League Cup competition, Hull City lost on penalties last night to Lincoln City. The game finished 1-1, but Lincoln won the penalty shootout in a super muddy game. Hull City returned to league action on Saturday as they sit atop the League One standings. They will take on last place Burton Saturday morning at 10 a.m. And that's all for this week's edition of The Ripple. Thank you for giving it a listen. We hope you enjoyed it. Get outside and enjoy some of that fresh snow. Take care of yourself and each other and have a sterling week. If I knew the way, I would take you home.